Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 9. Please stand with us, if you would, please, for the reading of the Word of God. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, and we'll kind of fill us in on the context here in a few moments, but we'll begin with this. This is the opening of the seals, the seven seals. This is the the fifth seal we're going to read about tonight. And we find this in verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, John says, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they, those souls of them that were slain, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Verse 12 goes into the next seal, the sixth seal. So I want to speak to you tonight on the subject of the testimony of the martyrs. And really I want to, I want to apply this to our theme of standing. I mean, these people could have saved their lives if they would have just gone with the program, if they'd just been politically correct, if they would have just compromised, they wouldn't be considered martyrs. Their standing cost them something, and generally when you stand for something, it will cost you something. Um, You've heard it said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, and that's really true. Um... So let's have prayer as we get into the scripture now. Father, thank you for your word. Bless as we study it together. Thank you for this wonderful book, the Bible. We thank you for the book of Revelation, for the glimpse that we have into the future, for things that will happen on this earth, for things that will happen in heaven, that we have your testimony, your word, and we acknowledge, Father, that there's so many things that we don't fully understand, but what we do understand is a great encouragement to our heart. We thank you for it. Help us to, Lord, to grow in grace tonight. Help us to receive your word, to take it seriously, and the Spirit of God would teach us as you've promised to, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Let's just kind of back up a little bit, just for the sake of um, kind of filling in a few blanks. Uh, John the Beloved is is being shown things. Uh, He's being shown things about the world he lived in in the first century. But he's also being shown things about things that would come. As a matter of fact, hold your finger right here in Revelation and go back to Revelation chapter 1. We'll come back to Revelation 6 in a moment. But in Revelation chapter 1, uh, these are, this is some of the instruction that was given to John. John, by the way, um, 
If you look in verse 9 of chapter 1, it says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos. He was exiled on the island of Patmos. And notice why he was exiled there. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. That sounds kind of familiar with what chapter 6 says when it says those that were beheaded or though killed was for the word of God and for the testimony. That's what got John exiled on the road on the island of Patmos. And look in verse 19, if you would please, in chapter 1 of Revelation. Here's the instruction he's given. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. God instructs him to write down what, you, what you've seen, the things that are going on now, and the things that will be. And if you look in uh, Revelation chapter 2, we're not going to read it. All of Revelation chapter 2, all of Revelation chapter 3, these are things having to do with literal churches in the first century uh, that John would have been familiar with. The church at Philadelphia, the church at Laodicea, the church at Pergamos, the church at Ephesus, all these different churches, seven different churches, Revelation 2 and 3, those are things that are happening right now in John's lifetime. But in Revelation chapter 4, the, sh- the, the scene shifts to heaven. Revelation 4, 1, it says, After this I looked... Look, just the last verse of chapter 3, he's still talking to the churches. As he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And those, uh, that was the last church with the church at, uh, at Laodicea. Then chapter one, 4, verse 1, after this, after that, I looked. And behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be, what? Hereafter. Things that are going to be in the future. Verse 2, And immediately, John says, I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. So he sees what's going to happen in these churches, and then he sees into heaven, and he sees... The throne of God. That's ex- so that's how this is developing in the book of Revelation. And in, in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, And I saw, John says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. So John sees this. Now when you think about a book, you're thinking about your hymn book or your Bible, but they didn't have books bound like that in John's day. They would have been like uh, usually um, some kind of a skin or some kind of a, a manuscript that's rolled up. It'd be like a roll, really. And on that roll, on that book, there were seven seals. And interestingly enough, all the se- when you opened one of the seals up, a part of the book would be opened. 
you'd open up another seal, another part of the book. There's seven seals. So the first part would reveal certain things are going to happen. The second one would reveal other things are going to happen. And as the seals are opening, John is being able to see into the future. And he's seeing wars and tribulations and persecutions and famine. We're not going to read all that stuff. But, for instance, in chapter 5 there, in verse uh, 6, he begins to talk about these things that he is seeing. And these things are opening up before him. These various seals. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Uh, one of the seals are opened up and he sees certain things that are happening. In uh, verse um, uh, 3 of chapter 6, there's the second seal. And we, we see, very, for instance, look in verse 4. He says, Power was given unto him that sat on this horse to take peace from the earth. Take peace from the earth and that they should kill one another. And there was given him a great sword. Verse 5, there's the third seal. And look, look at, I can remember hearing a sermon on this when we still lived in Texas before we moved here. In verse 6 where it says, I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, A measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And our preacher brought out in that day, and I remember this sermon, that a, a pence or a penny in that day... Uh, was like, you know, a, a, a week's salary or wages. It's like, imagine buying a loaf of bread and it would cost you, you know, everything you could make in a day. Those are the things that lie in the future. Those are the things that John was seeing was going to happen. Look in chapter 6 and verse 15. All this is just kind of introduction, but chapter 6 and verse 15 it says, And the kings of the earth... And the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? So all these things are happening and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So that's... That's the seals. It's opening up this future that John could see glimpses of what it's going to be like. And that brings us to our text in chapter 6 and verse 9. And this is the fifth seal. As you read through these seals, there's, something, there's several things that make the fifth seal really stand out. And one of them is, unlike all the other six of the seals there are no animals like in some there were horses there were angels there were beasts that just where they use the word beasts there are no trumpets there are no earthquakes like they were in more than one of the other seals there's no sounds of thunder there's no instruments of persecution all there is is john seeing a group of people and who are those people Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. He saw the souls of martyrs. People who had been killed because of their faith. And you might ask, well, what is, what is the relevance? What is the connection? What does this have to do with this matter of standing. And because, and I say it, it has great 
uh, relevance because they were killed for the word of God. Verse 9, they were slain for the word of God. John saw the souls of these martyrs. And as I read a moment ago in verse 10, they're crying out. And they're asking God, how long is it going to be before you will judge our murderers? So that doesn't sound like a very Christian thing to pray for. But uh, by the way, they would be judged. And John knew they should be judged. And they will be judged. But in verse 10, when they said, how long? How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? How long is he going to wait to give them their due judgment? And verse 11, just to read it again, it says, And white robes were given unto every one of them. They were robed in this, adorned in these white robes. And it was said to them, this is what was communicated to these martyrs, that they should rest yet for a little season. Just take a break. That sounds pretty good to me, right? That you just take a short rest. And what are they going to wait on? Until their fellow servants also, verse 11, and their brethren, your fellow servants and your brethren, that should be killed as you were, as they were, should be fulfilled. Wait until all these other martyrs, the remainder of the martyrs, are killed. Now... I've got a couple of things tonight I really want to emphasize, but one thing I think it's worth thinking about is there's special treatment in heaven for martyrs. I'm not, I'm not applying for the position, but I'm just telling you, they may not be readily appreciated down here, but they really are appreciated up there. Um, hold your finger right here, because we're going to look at a couple other places. Look in Revelation chapter 7 and verse... 13 says this and one of the elders answered saying unto me what are these which are arrayed in white robes and whence came they John says and I said unto him sir thou knowest and he said to me these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living Fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Very special treatment. If you go one other place, Revelation chapter 20, near the book, back of the book, Revelation chapter 20, John continues to write. He said, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. That's the third time we've read that statement. For the witness or testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, 
neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And notice what it says about them. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So let's go back to Revelation 6. Why were these believers persecuted? Number one, for the word of God. For the word of God. And number two, Revelation 6, 9, for the testimony which they held. So let's think about those two things tonight. (coughs) Pardon me. They were slain for the word of God. For means because of, on account of. They were slain because of or on account of the word of God. Why were these people killed? They're in heaven. Their souls are in heaven. Why were they killed? They didn't just live out their life a normal life. They didn't die a normal death. They were slain because of their relationship to the word of God. It's an interesting thing. They were martyred. Their life was taken from them because of their relationship to the Bible. Not just because they owned a Bible. They, now, there have been people over the time, over history, there have been time that, it, that for you to have a copy of the Word of God, you might have been persecuted just for having it in your home. Just for having a Bible. You could be, I'm sure we'll find out one day there were people who were killed because there, were, there have been times throughout history that having a Bible was illegal. And the Roman Catholic religion did not want people to have a Bible. And they fought against people who tried to translate the Bible and make it available to the common man. But these people weren't just killed because they owned a Bible. They weren't, they weren't even killed because they believed the Bible is true. There are a lot of people here tonight who have a Bible, at least one Bible, And most people here would say, I believe the Bible's true. But just believing the Bible's true probably would not qualify you for being a martyr. These people were killed because they obeyed the Bible. Because they lived by the Bible. Because they took the Bible seriously. I think you would agree with me tonight that if you were to poll or take a survey of everybody that attends church like our church. Most everybody has a Bible. Most everybody believes that the Bible is true, at least in part. But not all of us would, can honestly say we're obeying the Bible. And in this country, we have so much freedom. We're spoiled rotten. We have political freedom in this country. You can have a Bible. You can stand out there on the street and Preach the Bible if you want to. You can go about any public place and give out literature, gospel literature. Probably nothing's going to happen except someone may make fun of you. It might be the worst thing that would happen. But there are places in the world that if you did that, you could be locked up for that. And these people were slain because they believed the Bible so strongly that they were not willing to recant or change where they stood. Or how they worshipped based on the truth. They were slain for their stand. They, the, the stand that they took cost them their lives. Right? For the word of, I'm not making it up. They were slain for the word of God. They were slain because of the word of God. And it says in Revelation 6, 9, and for the testimony which they held. They were slain because their testimony. So a person 
in their day, in their lifetime, not in our life, but a person in their lifetime, if they didn't take a strong stand on the Bible or they didn't have a verbal testimony about Christ and about the Bible, they would probably be safe. It's only when they stood strong on their doctrine that they jeopardized their safety. The word testimony here in Revelation chapter 6, 9, the word testimony is translated from a Greek word, marturia, M-A-R-T-U-R-I-A. Now I want to just, I'll help you by notice, helping what that kind of sounds like. Marturia kind of sounds like what? Martyr. And the word marturia that's translated as uh, testimony has the Greek root word of martus, M-A-R-T-U-S. And that word martus is found in Revelation 2.13. Let's look at it. Just glance at it. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 13. And I, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, thou holdest fast my name. You're holding my name. And it's not denied my faith, even in those days when, wherein Antipas was my faithful, what? Martyr. And the word there is martus in the Greek, translated as martyr. So the testimony in Revelation 6, 9, the testimony, marturia, is, is their martyr. They held this testimony that really eventually... They, they sealed their testimony in their blood, really. And notice what it says in Revelation 6, 9. It says, And when they had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them which were slain for the, test, word, for the word of God. Excuse me. They were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they, what? Held. They held on to that testimony. They kept it. They held it fast. They refused to give it up. They refused to give up their testimony for Jesus Christ and their obedience to the Word of God. Now to me, this whole thing, even though it's about the future events and it's about what's going to happen after uh, believers are taken from this earth, the rapture of believers is going to happen after that, when great tribulation has come upon this earth, by the way, when the great tribulation is going on, people are still going to be being saved. People are still going to hear the gospel. Lots of people are going to be saved, but lots of the people who get saved are going to lose their life because of their faith. But it all has to do with our relationship to the Word of God. Um, that verse that's up here, can you... See the reference under that where it says the word of our God shall stand forever. Can you, how many of y'all can see the reference that's under there? Y'all don't even have glasses on many of you have your hands up. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. That's a great verse. The word of our God shall stand forever. It's never going to change. It's going to stand forever. Some of y'all are looking up there and you're not sure what that says up there because I can relate. <laughs> God's Word, young person, one of the reasons we have this verse up here is for people to understand that God's Word never changes. People change. Seasons change. Fashions and fads change. Lots of things change. 
But God's Word will never change. It's forever settled in heaven. That's what the Bible says. It's forever settled in heaven. His Word shall stand forever. And if a person is going to think about their stand, they need to understand that, no pun intended, they need to know, comprehend, that they're standing for something bigger than themselves. They're standing for the Word of God. God's Word will not change. Truth never changes. Aren't you glad about that? God never changes. And Malachi says, I'm the Lord, I change not. God doesn't have a bad day. He's not moody. He's not temperamental. He never changes. He doesn't, he doesn't get up on the wrong side of the bed. God never does. He's not going to change anything. He's not going to change for you, for me. He's not going to change after a hundred years or a thousand years or a million years. God will never change. He's the same way He is today. He believes the same thing today. He believed a hundred thousand million years ago, trillion years ago. He's never changed and He's never going to change. If somebody changes, it's not going to be God, right? He's always the same. And how do you know how He is? By reading this book. Because it's the revelation of God. His truth never changes. Now, I think you would know the relevance of that in our always changing culture. People, well this, you know, I know that that's the way it used to be, but things are different now. Things may be different, but truth hasn't changed. Things may be different, but God is still the same. Right? These people in Revelation 6 were killed because of their stand for the Word of God. And their belief in what the Bible teaches was strong enough that they couldn't compromise on it. They could not. I was reading today about a parting of the ways, a parting of company back in the 1500s by a man by the name of Felix Manns, M-A-N-Z, Manns, and Ulrich Zingli. Zingli, Zingli was, a, was a reformer like John Calvin, some of those reformers. And they, but Zingli, Zwingli and Felix Manns were part of the Roman Catholic Church. And both of them left in the 1500s. They left the Roman Catholic Church because of their their church's false doctrine primarily about infant baptism. They couldn't go along with that. And I don't think you would go along with that either. I hope you wouldn't go along with that. And they were in uh, Switzerland, Zurich, Switzerland. That's, and these, this, there was a... You'd have to understand that it wasn't just the Catholic religion, but the Catholic religion controlled governments. They controlled... Um, they ruled because they had the government support. And the city council in Zurich, Switzerland, approved this um, reformer's belief that Zwingli and Manns had that, that, that this infant baptism was wrong. So the city council actually um, agreed to kind of part 
distance themselves from the Catholic religion, but um, Manns took a much stronger position than Zwingli did at that time. And so he was arrested. And he was taken to prison. And he was in prison, and Zwingli actually had one of his associates stay with Manns and try to try to um, correct him, try to try to convert him back to where they once were. But but while Zwingli was was strong enough to, to become a reformer, Manns was much stronger than he was. Are you with me so far? So he was in jail, and they come to get him out of jail, and they took him uh, from a prison to a boat, and. Manz's mother and brother are in the, were in the crowd when this is type, they're, they're transferring him from a prison to this boat. And because of his strong belief, he, was an, he became one of the, he's an Anabaptist. Before they were called Anabaptists, he was an Anabaptist, believed in rebaptizing people that got converted. And while they're taking him, according to the record, while they're taking him from prison to, a, to this boat, his brother and his mother are urging him and cheering him to stand fast for what he believed. Isn't that imagine? Imagine being a mother cheering your son not to compromise when he's about to lose his life. That's something, isn't it? They tied man's hands together behind him. They took a stick and put it between his arms and tied him so his Arms were stuck and they could not move them. And then he tied his, uh, a stick between his knees and they tied that together so he couldn't use any of his limbs. And they took him out in the middle of the river. They pushed him out of the boat to baptize him because he believed so strongly in baptism by immersion. They threw him over the board into the river. The record says that his mother and brother and his fellow Anabaptists just kept shouting encouragement to him. Don't compromise. Stand strong. Now why was Felix Manns killed? It was for the word of God and for his testimony. Right? For the word of God and his testimony. And as we think this year about standing... That's our theme, to stand. Well, what does that mean? It ought, to, it ought to be encourage each other to stand for the Word of God. By the way, young person, if you've got a mother or a father that urges you to stand true to the Word of God, you ought to thank God for that. You ought to thank God for that. You shouldn't rebel against that and kick against that and resent that. You ought to be grateful for that. Now, in this... Matter of standing for the Word of God, and I want to just bring this to a close. There's several things embedded. I mean, what is it? What is it in the character, in the fiber, in the constitution of a man that would rather perish by drowning than compromise the Word of God? What is it in a man? You know, we'd all like to think that we would do that. But I think it's naive just to think automatically, just because we go to church on Wednesday night and carry a Bible, that we'd be willing to do that. And what is it in the, in the character or the constitution of a mother 
who would rather see her son drown than for him to compromise his belief about baptism. I brought this up in a service not too long ago, but I mean, when you examine that, when I look at that, I'm thinking, do I have what they had? You know what I'm saying? Were they wrong? Was Felix Mann's mother wrong for preferring that her dear son perish in the river than to compromise the Word of God? Was she wrong? I don't think we believe she's wrong. I think she was right. But there are probably mothers sitting here tonight thinking, I don't know that I could do that. And you know, we ought to be honest enough to evaluate our own hearts and lives. So embedded in this proposition of standing, there must be, a, first of all, a strong, a strong belief in the integrity of the Word of God. This is not a book of man's opinions, it's God's book. God wrote this book. And if God said it, young person, it's true. And it's worth, it's worth learning and studying and standing for. So there has to be a strong belief in the authority of the Bible. Second of all, second of all, and this is, is this a part of it? They go hand in hand. There has to be an accurate understanding of what the Bible says. You know, I have fond memories of my mother and I love I loved my mother, and I love my mother, I think, as any son has ever loved their mother. But I'm not going to die for something just because Mama believed it. But I'd like to think I'd die for something because God says it. Fortunately, a lot of things that Mother believed, God did say. But you know why, you know why young people will walk away from a sound church? Because they don't really, mama believed it, daddy believed it, but they never really sought it out and searched it out themselves. So number one, we have to have a strong belief in the authority of the scripture, but also a clear understanding of what the Bible says. That means we study it, we learn it. Young person, let me just give you something tonight that if you would apply this, it could really help you. If there's something that you hear preached or taught from this pulpit and you're not sure you understand or believe it, search it out for yourself. Don't just say, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. Well, what do you believe? Look in the Bible. Dig into the Bible. Be like those Berean Christians who search the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Get into the Bible. Some people just say, well, I don't know if I believe that because they don't want to believe it, but they, it's, just, it's not because the Bible doesn't teach it, it's just they don't know if they want to believe it or not. Won't you say, I want to find out what the Bible says? I could give you many illustrations of things, doctrinal things, things having to do with uh, uh, end times, things having to do with the, the church, things having to do with many things that, that I've searched out over my life saying, I don't want to just, I don't, I'm not going to do a conference and because somebody gets up and rants and raves about something and say, I believe that because they believe it so strong. And no, I want to find out what the Bible says. But people will say, no, I don't want to do that. But they haven't really searched the Scripture. They're just holding on to their preferences. So number one, they have a, yet we have to have a strong belief that this is the revelation of God. Number two, we have to study it to get an understanding of what the Bible says. That's why they, they had to take a stand 
on the matter of baptism because infant baptism is not taught anywhere in this book. It's a doctrinal issue. A theological issue. But second of all, we have to, we have to not only, or thirdly, we not only have to know what the book says, but we have to have the character, the courage to stand for truth. To stand for it. My wife and I recently watched a documentary. We've watched several of these in our lifetime about the Battle of the Alamo. And it's quite an interesting fight. The numbers vary depending on if it's a Texan telling the story or somebody else is telling the story. But however you look at it, I mean, there was a hundred and something people, 25, 30 people inside that mission. And Santa Ana's army had thousands. So the numbers may be off a little bit, but here's the point. You can't deny this, this is history. The people inside the walls of that mission made a, made a stand and made a commitment knowing that they're going to perish. Knowing. Reinforcements are not coming. They're going to be slaughtered inside that mission. And they chose to die rather than to surrender. It takes courage to do something like that, right? It takes courage to do something like that. And, and well, if we're going to take a stand, it, we have to, there has to be some courage on our part. We have to know that what we're standing for is God's Word. We have to know what the Bible says about this particular issue. And thirdly, we have to have the, the courage or the character to stand. You say, well, I, I believe every bit of that. And I hope you do believe every bit of that. But, you know, we could take the Bible tonight and just take a few minutes. We're not going to do it. We could take the Bible tonight and just take a few minutes and just go through some verses of Scripture. Let me talk to the young people for a moment. Ephesians 6, 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And it says that the first commandment with promise is to honor and obey your parents. Is that what, that's what the Bible says, right? Do you believe that young person? You say, well, I don't know about that. It's in the Bible. How about dads? The the same Bible, same chapter says, fathers, you know, bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You be the instructor. You be the teacher. You be the one that's teaching them, instructing them, and guiding your family spiritually. say, well, I, I just don't know if I've got time for that. What I'm saying is it's easy to say we believe the Bible, but it's another thing to take the Bible and look at it and say, I, I believe it enough, I'm going to live by that. And as independent Baptists, most of us grew up in this culture where we carry a Bible. We believe that the Bible is the Word of God. We believe we have the right Bible. We stand for that, but it's not... People didn't lose their life because they carried a Bible. They, lived their, they lose their life because they lived by the Bible and they testified about the Bible and they stood for the Bible. And you say, well, I think I would stand. I think I would stand for Bible doctrine, if you won't even stand up for what's right around your friends, what makes you think you're going to stand up for what's right in the face of a sword? You know, the the world hates this book. I'm talking about the world system, Satan. But behind that is the devil. He hates this book. 
If you go read about the parable of the sower, the very first thing it says about the parable of the sower, the seed was sown and the, and the fowls of the air came and snatched it away. And then Jesus explained it. He, he, he spelled it out, drew a picture. The fowls of the air, it's Satan, steals the word of God. He hates the word of God. He hates it. That's why it's such a, a spiritual battle to read your Bible regularly, to learn your Bible, to study your Bible, try to live by the Bible, because Satan hates it. He don't want us to be in the Bible. He certainly doesn't want the Bible to be in us. But, you know, I'm, not, I'm certainly not a fortune teller or a prognosticator, but it wouldn't surprise me a bit. This seems like an exaggeration, but it wouldn't surprise me a bit if in a generation or two, people in this country, if something doesn't turn around, could be persecuted in a serious way because they're faith in Jesus Christ. He said, well, it never happened in our lifetime. Don't think for a minute it couldn't happen. And if, you, if you and I don't have enough courage and enough conviction to stand up for what's right in this easy culture in which we live, what would you do if they're marching your son or your daughter or your husband or your wife to the stake where they're going to be burned to death? What would you do? You know, a lot of these people that are being killed overseas, Christians, a lot of them are not Bible Christians like we would think of being born again. A lot of them are religious people. A lot of them belong to a false religion. But that does not matter to their murderers. And they're chopping their heads off today. They're chopping their heads off today. It's kind of morbid, isn't it? And you know why they're chopping their heads off? Because they're Christians. At least in name, they're Christians. When I hear stuff like this, it's a reminder to me that we need to take our faith seriously. John saw in that fifth seal... John saw the souls of all those who had been slain for the Word of God and for their testimony of Jesus Christ. And you know what? I salute every one of them. Amen? For having such strong faith. And it makes me want to have a a faith strong as they did. Amen? I ask you the question tonight. First of all, are you saved? Do you, have a, do you have genuine faith in Jesus Christ? Have you been saved? Have you been born again? By the grace? And if you haven't, if you haven't, you need to be saved. And if you're saved, and you look at your own life, your own belief system, How strongly do you believe what you believe? And we ought to say tonight to God, God, I want to to believe strongly in what you say. This is what we're going to be judged by right here. You're not going to be judged by what I say. You're going to be judged by what he says. Amen?